0: Welcome back, Gothamites, to Gotham TV Podcast and our repost of Episode 4 of Season 2, Strike Force. And we will be getting to see um, a new chief in charge of the GCPD, a new commissioner, mm-hmm. uh, RIP Commissioner Essen. Oh. But of course, welcome, uh, doors wide open, Ten Hut, to Commissioner Nathaniel Barnes, played by Michael Chiklis. Yeah, uh, so huge uh new character uh coming in. Maybe he will last longer than Commissioner Essen in yeah. in his role. Who knows, but uh a new big character for uh, the GCPD. Absolutely, yeah. This
1: is our final repost episode of uh, our reviews that we saw in New York over at New York Comic Con last year. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to all of our new listeners who've picked up the podcast since, uh, since we've been reposting the episodes so far. Um, we will be back with episode 5 next week, which is our first new episode since October last year. So we've got uh, some brand new content coming next week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to include some new villains as well, which we are certainly aware of. Um, they've been bigged up even before it started in the States, the Season 2 of Gotham, which okay. is obviously Firefly, mm-hmm. uh, played by Michelle Ventimiglia. And of course, so we have a female Firefly, so that would be pretty awesome mm-hmm. um, to, to delve into. But I think with this, we have one bit of uh, news to discuss, which is the return of something that doesn't really like fire uh, and will get grilled very quickly if it comes <laughs> into contact with them. Yes. Uh, and that's a fish, a fish moony, in fact. Yes. Um, so we have had uh, news that fish moony is returning to Gotham, that it will be for... Um, multiple episodes, not just simply a, a one-off. That's right. Uh, Michael Osillo uh,
1: over at com got the exclusive that Fish Mini is returning for a couple episodes of Season 2. Really interesting. I think we had a, had a good bit of speculation about that at the end of Season 1 when, uh, when Fish fell off the bridge and ended off in the ocean, uh, that it's quite likely that Fish
0: would be returning in Season 2. So really excited to see that this is being confirmed. Definitely. And of course, we did ask Drew Powell as well about this. Um, and he certainly would love to work with, um, Jada Pinkett Smith again. And so it looks like he will obviously get an opportunity here. I wonder how Fish will work back in. Obviously, you know, massive rivalry with Penguin. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the loyalty of Butch, will he suddenly snap out of this, um, uh, allegiance to the penguin and, uh, and revert back to, to his old sort of best boss? Best friend. Someday. and best friend. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, he really did save us. So. Yeah. And Penguin Who killed knows? her, effectively, so uh, there's definitely some kind of rivalry right there. So Exactly. Yeah,
1: really looking forward to seeing how she comes
0: back. It'll be interesting. And, you know, friend or foe of the GCPD, how will she work in there? Because, obviously, she's got a huge uh, relationship, uh, you know, old flame with Detective Bullock. Um, so that will be really interesting yeah. to see. She was one of the big kind of plot points that didn't get tied up
1: completely. She just got pushed off a bridge at the end of uh, at the end of season one, which was a a fun little moment just before Oswald took on the reins of King of Gotham. So it'd be interesting to see what the Queen of Gotham has to say about that. So really, really interesting. And as John mentioned, we did talk to Drew Pell, the actor who plays Butch Gilzean, uh, about that on one of our previous podcasts. Here's what he had to say: She was fun to be with, and I have no doubt we'll work together again at some point. But. Um... Yeah, I, that was a, one of the biggest pleasant surprises of the entire uh, first season for me. Absolutely, you, you've set me up for one of the biggest fan questions out there. Uh, do you think Fish will return?
0: <laughs> I, I look, I, I hope so. Um, I, uh, it's,
1: it's. Um, th- my hope is is that this show has enough of a longevity that you can kind of re-enter some storylines. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, you know.
0: She went into the river. She's a fish. She can swim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, I I don't know
1: anything, but uh, I sure hope to see her again somewhere down the road.
0: Thank you again, Drew Powell, for um, for um that little snippet of our interview. You can find uh, that full interview on gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Uh, just search for the Drew Powell interview. Uh, have a look for that if you want to hear any more. But I think with that, it's on to our repost of Gotham episode 4. Of season two, Strike Force.
1: Yep, and we'll be back with you next week for a scarification episode five of Gotham, our first brand new episode in months. Looking forward to it, and thanks very much for listening.
0: Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hey, this is Drew
1: Powell. I play Butch Zine on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV podcast.
0: Welcome back, detectives. Welcome back, Gothamites. This is Gotham TV podcast, and we are looking at Strike Force, the fourth episode of this season, the second season of Gotham. I am one of your hosts, John, and I'm your other host, Derek. Welcome back. Welcome back, indeed. We are pleased to introduce another. Gothamite GCPD detective or should I say captain to the force tonight and that is Captain Nathaniel Barnes played by Michael Chiklis which was really cool I was thrilled
1: yeah yeah really good to see him again
0: ten hut done ten hut (laughs) indeed like this is one of the
1: um, episodes that we caught in in New York yeah, yeah, the final episode that we got while we were on our trip to New York. So uh, this will pretty much be our last podcast for 2016 uh, on the episodes of Gotham, unfortunately. Bit of sad news to start us out tonight, but we definitely enjoyed
0: it and definitely enjoyed the episodes that we got out of New York. Absolutely. Unfortunately, Gotham over in Ireland and the UK is subject to a later start date, and um, it's not until 2016. Um It should be early 2016, but still there's no exact date yet announced by Channel 5, who's broadcasting it in the UK. There may also be um, the broadcast of Gotham on the um, Irish uh, state channel, RTE as well. But again, it's going to be delayed. And sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles uh, with respects to the scheduling of North American um, TV over here. And in fact... In some cases, this is better than other shows that we just simply don't get on the terrestrial or satellite television in Europe, or at least in Ireland um, and, and the UK. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Um, shows like iZombie have never been exactly. broadcast in Ireland. Uh, Constantine was only broadcast on, on Amazon, which is a channel only available in the UK. We've spoken about a lot of this before, but the one thing we want to say is we are delighted that we've been able to see the four episodes that we got to see while we were in New York. So uh, we Worth the price of admission for New York Comic-Con, really.
0: Yeah, and it's, I mean, a little teaser, taster for um, our listeners, but also we hope that we've been able to uh, bring a different perspective from some of the other uh, American podcasts who are podcasting about this, um, a different eyes on, on the TV show from other podcasts. Um, you know, We've been thrilled to to see it and we will obviously uh, be back closer to um, the start of Gotham in Ireland and the UK. Yeah,
1: definitely. If you do want to find us and uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast for Gotham, it's on gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll bring you to the iTunes link or you can get us on any good podcast catcher, catcher like podcast addict, uh, beyond pod, tons of good podcast catchers out there. You'll find us in pretty much every one of them.
0: Yeah. And also, whilst we're away from, from Gotham, we will still be on our, uh, at Gotham TV podcast Twitter handle. But I hear the, the questions being raised. Um, Derek, what are we doing whilst, uh, We're away from Gotham TV Podcast. Yeah, yeah. We have been covering uh, the
1: Marvel shows for Netflix uh, over on our other podcast, Defenders TV Podcast. You can find that podcast over on Podcast.com slash iTunes for the iTunes link. And again, just search Defenders TV Podcast in any good podcast catcher. Uh, Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we have the release of... Jessica Jones, the second Netflix Marvel series, uh, which we were lucky enough to see the first episode of in uh, in New York Comic Con as well. An excellent TV show. Really enjoyed the first episode and really excited to cover that again. So that gets released on November 20th, and the first episode of our coverage of Jessica Jones will be released on that day uh, over on Podcast.com.
0: Yeah, so in the hiatus that is Gotham until it is in Ireland, And, of course, we will be covering all 13 episodes of uh, Jessica Jones on Defenders TV Podcast. Again, you can search for us there at uh, www.defendersTVpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or, again, any other good podcast catcher. So we'll be looking um, at those in the Gotham hiatus that we have uh, until it comes out in Europe or at least in Ireland and the UK.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you, while you might miss us on Gotham, you'll definitely hear our voices over there. Uh, I think with that, that's enough of, uh, of the prelude to this episode with the bad news that we're not going to be covering anything more than episode four. Let's get into episode four, John. Yeah. The good news. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So episode four is. Strike Force, uh, written by Danny Cannon, uh, the lead showrunner for this season, uh, and directed by T.J. Scott, one of our favourite directors of Gotham season one. He also directed episodes of Constantine last year in the first season. He's directed loads of Orphan Black, tons of TV shows, and is also a great photographer in his own right as well.
0: Yeah, there are some really amazing shots in this episode, really stylistic, really cool. Um. Just as a hint, it may be one of my points. Interesting, interesting.
1: Uh, But to start us off, do you want to give us the synopsis for this episode, John?
0: Sure. Oswald Cobblepot has gathered together the new criminal heads of Gotham to find out who was responsible for the Arkham breakout, but he's unable to find the source. Tabitha Galavan pays him a visit to bring him to a meeting with her brother, where Theo takes responsibility for the new level of violence in Gotham and enlists an initially reluctant Penguin in his plot to become the next mayor of Gotham. Penguin has been tasked with taking out the other mayoral candidates in exchange for the release of his mum, Mrs. Cappelputt, who has been kidnapped by Tabitha. A thankful Bruce Wayne invites Theo Gallivan to dinner at Gotham's finest restaurant to praise Theo for saving his life. There, Bruce meets at the enchanting Silver St. Cloud, niece and ward of the Gallivan siblings, and discovers he will have a friend this year at Andrew's Prep. Elsewhere in Gotham, another dinner is taking place as Ed Nygma finally asks Kristen Kringle out on a date to Chesmois. <laughs> As Jim Gordon continues his fight against corruption in the GCPD, a chair-wielding ally arrives to take the fight to a new level. Enter new Captain Nathaniel Barnes. He works quickly to remove the most corrupt cops on the force and replace them with a new squad. This strike force is an elite unit of top-level cadets hand-picked from the Academy by Gordon and Barnes themselves. As the new unit goes into action, hunting the killer of Councillor Caulfield, Jim learns that Oswald is the likely suspect, behind the murder and the attempted murders of the other mayoral candidates, Councillor Hobbs and Theo Gallivan himself. However, the first real mission that Captain Barnes has for the strike force sits uncomfortably with Jim, as it seeks to take out public enemy number one, the Penguin. Whew, well... That was a long... There was a lot going on in this episode, I think. Yeah,
1: I think we pretty much touched on most of the Gotham residents uh, for this episode. There's tons going on, loads of loads of bits and pieces uh, to talk about and loads of stuff that we've seen in this episode. A good setup episode for the season. A little bit of a slower episode overall, I think. And the first episode in the last three where nobody dies,
0: um, which I think is quite, uh, quite important. No major character. Absolutely. But there is um, that slap, which was mm. quite controversial at the time. Um, yeah. And I suppose still is on um, a fresh re-watching of it.
1: Certainly, uh, we will be talking about that as we go through. Uh, Listeners, if this is your first time joining us, I know most of you have joined us throughout Season 1 and Season 2 of Gotham, but if it is your first time joining us, the way we cover our episodes is we talk about our five points of the episode, the pieces that stood out to us, and hopefully cover off the whole episode throughout those points and notes
0: yeah and it will of course be spoiler filled um so if you haven't watched the episode um if you don't want to know anything that goes on in gotham episode four then obviously please avert your gaze now (laughs) you're in the wrong place if you've gotten through that synopsis without being spoiled uh you
1: you may be in the wrong place yeah definitely
0: so derek uh what is your first spoiler filled case point for for tonight
1: my first case point is actually just right at the start. It's another huge spoiler, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, Oswald and the new status quo on the, uh, on the mob side of Gotham. Uh, really interesting. It's kind of the first time we've seen Oswald surrounded as King of Gotham, um, by all of the new heads of the, uh, of the crime families. Um, where we left them last season really was with, uh, Moroni's gang on one side, um, Falcone's gang on another side, Fish's gang on another side, and then Oswald coming up the middle with his crazies as well. Um What we see here is essentially the new players in town who all look like extras at a Blade Runner, I thought.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a real artistic direction of, I think probably TJ Scott as much as Danny Cannon. It mm. looked really punk, really kind of retro-y vibe, that just neon and makeup and spiky hair and like really good yeah
1: yeah yeah so uh really like this love this idea that by the end of the discussion with everybody he's saying essentially the exact opposite of what he said at the start of season one he's saying he doesn't want any more chaos no more gang wars no more blood running in the streets a direct reference to his his speech at the beginning of season one and essentially tells everybody that from now on Anybody they want to murder, anybody they want to kidnap must go through him uh, so he can find the source of who broke out uh, the prisoners from Arkham Asylum, essentially. So uh, quite good seeing the king of Gotham laying down his law. We've not seen it yet.
0: Yeah, I love the way he said that the ginger maniac ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, in reference to Jerome. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree it's a real chip off the old Falcone block. You know, we will have discipline and we will have unity. Yeah. and I love the fact he calls it out that, you know, they never had it so good, you know, as the ginger maniac has gone around putting all these, um, hard working, very rich people off the streets of Gotham, uh, not spending anything in his bars and clubs. So yeah, really, really good.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really good point. We did see a little flash of this early on in the season, uh, but it was very much a, it was a scene of that dialogue where he, uh, where he gets somebody executed in his, uh, in his room where he's, um, had somebody kneeling in front of him and pledging allegiance to, to Oswald, obviously. But, uh, but this is the first time we've really seen him gathered by, the new heads of Gotham, and he does, as you say, call it out that these are the young people, these are the new people that are taking over, and then gets interrupted rudely by Tabitha Galavan uh, coming in and uh, and creating another great moment with uh, within the uh, within the episode. Um, but I just thought, firstly, that that point just jumped out to me, Uh it's just seeing the new king of Gotham in place.
0: Yeah, no, I thought, and I think this leads into um my main point is right. um that. King of Gotham no more, question mark, mm. at least for the time being. Anyway, I mean, I absolutely love the disdain with which Tabitha in particular, but even Theo had for the self-titled Oswald Cobblepot mm-hmm. and uh, and King of Gotham the, the Penguin. I mean, they're basically, uh, in inviting him over and disclosing their Plans and even that they were behind the Arkham breakout. You know, there's um, Barbara Keane being paraded in front of him. You know, drinking a martini. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, then they have the audacity to then go and and kidnap Oswald's mom, uh, Gertrude Kaplons. Like, I've absolutely loved um, this kind of. Conflict generated purposefully by the Galavans mm-hmm. against the big crime boss in Gotham, the King of Gotham, and they really kind of hold him in utter contempt. Um, and I just love that uh dynamic between the two. It was really good, and it really fuels Oswald Cobblepot. I mean, t- to me, from Robin Lord Taylor, I just got that sense that he he was almost like back to square one in relation to having to now compete and go against another big boy. Yeah. And in this sense, it's Theo Galavan. Um, you know, he's between a rock and a hard place. And he's going to implicate himself. Um, and as sort of Galavan is uh, thinking and discussing his plans, he says, you know, whilst they're going after all sort of cobble pots, I will take the mayor. Position from under everyone's noses to progress his own sinister plans for revenge. Really, yeah. yeah. So loved it. Absolutely loved this. Yeah. um it was definitely. really good.
1: Yeah, I loved the uh, the first reaction of Tabitha when when Oswald comes in and tells her he's the king of Gotham. Uh, it's nice to meet the king of Gotham. No, you're the king of garbage. Essentially, is what she yeah. says. Brilliant. And Theo kind of goes, you know, I oh don't know. She's a bit bit direct. But yeah, basically you are. The whole town was built on garbage when our, when our name was taken off it, essentially, he says. Um, and Oswald does have a very, a very good comeback to it. He essentially says that, you know, a year ago, he was the umbrella boy for Fish Mooney and then she died at his own hand. Um, Falcone is on the run. Moroni's dead. Uh, all of them underestimated Oswald Cobblepot. He suggests you don't do the same. So he is still fighting, definitely, until, It's paraded in front of them that Mrs. Cappelputt is now missing.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's kind of why I sort of suffixed it with for the time being. Mm. I think if they underestimate the penguin, they've lost against him. I think they've probably revealed too much already. He can use that. Their only upper hand at the moment is his mom in captivity. Mm -hmm. So... If his mother is rescued, um, if they lose her, then they've lost their bargaining chips. And it's going to be a tricky situation um, to come back from. And given that they've threatened Oswald with the death of his own mother, who he loves dearly. Mm A bit too much sometimes. A bit too much sometimes. Remember the bath from Mm -hmm. season one? How could I Um, forget that? Yeah, absolutely. Not at that age, thank you. Maybe as a young whippersnapper, don't mind being bathed by uh, a member of the family, but at that stage, a bit much. Bit much. Yeah. But nonetheless, you know, they have crossed the line here, and if they have underestimated him, he's gonna let them know very soon, mm-hmm. um, and very powerfully, I would have thought, don't mess with the penguin's mom. Absolutely,
1: but keeping with Gallivan, um, and keeping with uh keeping with Oswald and Galavan's interaction i suppose the other huge bits in this in this episode are essentially the mission that Galavan has set for Cobblepot and his attack on the other members of the mayoral, mayoral race difficult to say isn't it
0: mayoral, mayoral.
1: yeah um yeah so, so, so uh, this is where all the violence comes in the episode really is uh, is essentially cobblepot having to be instructed and go off and kill people he has never actually done this before uh has he he's he's killed people on his own uh, on his own initiative, but he's never been sent as an assassin to go and kill people. And um, he does it for Caulfield, and then uses Victor's eyes to kill or to attack at least um, the future possible Mayor Hobbs. Um, but there's a lot of violence in this episode. Again, um, we've talked about it before: the amount of violence that is in a show that's on between eight and nine. And again, pushing the limits here with with uh, particularly the attack in Caulfield, where um Oswald jumps on top of her and attacks her with a knife to the throat. Um, quite a tough scene to watch on a on an early evening program isn't it
0: no absolutely but i mean that is also um oswald's mo so far I- in gotham absolutely. is the, is the knife and um, again it's off screen you get the blood on the window so i mean that that's to me i think is fine i think the the thing here is that penguin dislikes being put in this position where he is forced to do something that quite frankly, now he is the mobster, uh, the king of Gotham. It is not for him, unless he chooses to do so, to get his hands messy and to stick his hands into the mud. Mm -hmm. Um, To quote a Jim Gordon from The Dark Knight. but um, And that's what I loved about that, and I loved it even more, that Butch, even though he doesn't know the situation with the Galavans to begin with, calls it out um, and asks why are we doing this as they're waiting for zaz to go in and kill um the uh, councilor Hobbes, mm-hmm. you know he also calls it out he goes we've been doing a lot of crazy stuff <laughs> and Today, as he's kind of got his arms around um, the two Councillor Colfield helpers and assistants uh, in, in her election bid. I love that. I love the fact that it just looks like this big teddy bear with his balaclava on. Sort of saying, yeah, we've been going around doing a lot of crazy stuff today. <laughs> I'm not too sure why. And, you know, he doesn't understand this from being the right hand man to um, Fish Mooney. Knowing how mobsters work, this makes no sense. Uh-huh. And he asks the question. He needs to know why. And Penguin tells him, they've got my mom. Yeah. And that's the whole thing that's driving this. And that is not a position um that you want to have the penguin in or the penguin wants to be in so it's really good loved him
1: yeah yeah one other fun little thing that jumped out during the scene with uh with butch and in, in caulfield's office uh did you notice that he went and got the list of names and addresses and tells the two helpers um i've got your name and address so think about your families and keep mum is his exact phrase which <laughs> i just thought it was a nice little touch that essentially if they do shut up and Oswald accomplishes mission. He gets to keep his mom, which I thought was quite an interesting choice of, uh, choice of phrase for a butch, even though he didn't know at the time. Yeah. No,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, John, what's your next point? Uh, my next case point is the introduction of Captain Nathaniel Barnes, mm-hmm. Michael Chickless, The Thing, um, <laughs> Marvel DC crossover. Here we are. Um, I really liked the entrance of Nathaniel Barnes. I thought, you know, we have the, the military element here, you know, the 10 huts. Jim is made second in command. You've got strike force. He's militarizing the GCPD. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be ashamed and angry that, um, this precinct was compromised and, uh, fellow officers, detectives, Captain Essen were murdered in cold blood and, if you feel that you should leave like he is absolutely you know direct and to the point you know firing a load of people for being not only detectives and officers but also uh, having bribery extortion racketeering all on their records Mm -hmm. Um, and i really really liked this i thought you know You've got, again, this army guy here, and I I love that connection with Jim. I think he calls himself a sad-ass army hump, and, and Jim <laughs> comes back with, you know, you're a fellow jarhead. I could always tell that, you know, as the going gets difficult, as the going gets tough even, the tough get going. You know, it's a real, like, call-to-arms, real brotherhood thing, even in assembling the the recruits from the academy to this new elite uh, unit. And I really, really like that. And, of course, you have the wise words of Bullock uh, as well. Gotham doesn't have straight lines. It has twists, turns, and dead ends. Barnes is an idealist. Will he survive? Is he able to survive by being this direct, uh, this uncompromising Mm -hmm. in his vision to root out corruption and evil we've had it before and um, in Jim himself who learned to um, be flexible and to manage it will the uncompromising nature it would appear of Barnes ultimately lead to his downfall or possibly his death yeah yeah it's really
1: interesting isn't it because finally Jim has an ally that's doing exactly what Jim wanted to do uh, Essen was someone that he had to bring around to his way of thinking and yes she was hugely supportive of Jim but she didn't generally go out and seek the corrupt elements of the GCPD whereas Barnes comes straight in smashes a chair and fires four guys uh, from the GCPD immediately because he's done his homework before he arrived he knows what he wants to do and he's straight on Jim's side and one great thing about the conversation that uh that Harvey and Jim have is once again a great callback to season one Harvey says exactly the same lines to Jim about Barnes that he had said to Essen when Jim arrived in the GcPD he says this guy is the wrong person for this city essentially um saying that Barnes is way too strict for this city he needs to bend he needs he needs to uh what's it you need to bend or else you get broke isn't that the essence phrase as yeah. well um they're very much having the conversation about him now that Jim's been incorporated a bit more into the gcpd and Gotham's way of thinking um it's really interesting to see that little callback as well
0: yeah definitely like it's a really good nod to. Jim's arrival, uh, back in season one. It's also a slight different approach because Captain Barnes is in control. He is in charge. He obviously from somewhere has been given absolute carte blanche to do it his way. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know who it is because it's not Commissioner Loeb. It's not obviously Commissioner Essen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor Aubrey is, um, Indisposed. Indisposed yeah. in a box mm-hmm. and maybe in pieces in a box at this stage. <laughs> um, so is it just uh, some bureaucrat who said, yeah, off you go, you're next in line kind of thing. Yeah, do it your way mm-hmm. um, in that sense. Or is it from another source, a more thoughtful or, um, you know, Deliberate source that's telling him to do it this way. Interesting. Who I had not really considered that. Yeah, we
1: have no mayor. We have no commissioner. Um, that you were generally the people that were holding back or putting pressure on Essen uh, all the way throughout the first season. Uh, who is it that's putting pressure on uh, on Barnes? Or is there nobody? as Barnes come in to take this, this position because he can do whatever he
0: wants to? Absolutely. And I'm gonna nab my third point in and duck in and take it now oh, no. because it links to then you know his ultimate kind of. We're going to take down public enemy number one, which is the Penguin. Mm -hmm. And my third point is too close to Barnes, too close to Oswald. You know, we've got Jim Gordon is in a bind. He is in a pickle. He wants what Barnes is offering. He wanted it himself to do that, to clean up Gotham, the GCPD, Mm -hmm. fight crime, fight corruption, bring the city back up on its feet. Um, But he has, at the same time, in taking on board, you know, I will bend a bit or mm-hmm. being the partner of Bullock, he has got himself into situations or into relationships like with Oswald where he's had to um, subvert his own principles. And whilst that's helped him to survive and be a cop and obviously in the future to be a captain and um, ultimately commissioner. How will this affect this dynamic between Barnes and Jim, who he appointed as second in command? So that there's a real, um, conflict here with Jim that will increasingly and hopefully come to the surface and be made public so that it really adds to this sort of dramatic tension. And of course, it's all called out by Oswald, you know, in some That's of the very awesome. last scenes, and um, as Jim goes uh, to confront Oswald about his role in the murder of Councillor Caulfield and and the other uh, mayoral candidates, and um, Theo gallivan who's who's put himself forward, and also then Councillor Hobbs, and yeah. um, and you know this symbiotic relationship, and. Um, is either going to break down and become less symbiotic and more confrontational or it's going to persist in in a way that maybe brings uh, Jim further into the mire, I think. So it would be really interesting to see, but I I love that. I love it when um, Jim is exposed like this. I think it's really great for the character.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I really, really enjoy seeing Jim essentially because he's going to confront Oswald. I like to see him getting kind of taken down a peg a little bit by Oswald. thought it was a really, really good scene and nice to really see Oswald back properly. I think we highlighted the fact that we hadn't really seen much of him up to last episode. Uh, this episode, this is the Oswald from season one with even more power and with even more knowledge and more to hold over Jim than he had in season one. Um, it's a great moment and I'm really intrigued to see what's going to happen when Barnes, this person that seems to really respect Jim's opinion, he's the one that... Uh, essentially worked. they worked together to set up the strike force. So clearly he respects Jim's opinion and respects Jim's, what he's been trying to do in the GCPD. I'm really intrigued to see what happens when, the, when they find out um, about the connection with Oswald. Definitely.
0: So Derek, what's your uh, next case point?
1: I think it's time to get on to the big one, really. The big one for me, the big controversial moment uh, in the episode. Um, the Alfred slap, as uh, as I have underlined, Um as Cameron Beacon Dover Selena Kyle looks on, uh, waiting for the arrival of Bruce Wayne to, uh, to his butler. Um, she's taken down a peg again. Another, another person in this episode taken down a peg, but she's stopped quite quickly by Alfred with a pretty handy slap across the face. Um, now he does explain it very quickly. He says, uh, do yourself a favor, treacle, jog on, keep away from my Bruce. And that was for Reggie. Um, essentially Reggie was, his best friend uh, it seemed like he's the one that wanted to dole out the uh, payback for what reggie did to bruce uh, and to alfred obviously in the, in the season 1 episode where uh, alfred got stabbed um and selina not only took that away from him him being able to deal revenge on reggie she also killed reggie uh, which is something he probably wouldn't have done um so this is the i, I suppose that's the the justification for it um Still a hugely difficult scene and uh, very controversial for a character as as beloved as Alfred is uh, within the show and within the fandom of Gotham. Uh, a difficult scene for a lot of people to take. John, what's your opinion on it?
0: Yeah, I mean, in my notes, I kind of got you know too much question mark. As I mean, ultimately he hits her. I mean, it it is a slap, but it's a full like hand right back if um with huge amount of force across the face. I kind of just thought. Actually, it felt like a misstep in uh, the writing of Alfred's character. And I thought it was an odd beat, okay. quite frankly. Um, because immediately after that, when Bruce arrives, he says he hands over the the, the running shoes and the jogging stuff. And uh, Bruce goes, uh, what do you expect me to do with this? Walk back. And he goes, no, I expect you to run back to mm-hmm. Wayne Manor that kind of relationship between Bruce and himself, I think he would have a similar relationship with other people of the same age as Bruce, um, even though she's a street kid. And yes, I understand um, why he's done it. um, And I understand that he is um, an army man, but I don't really want to justify it too much. I can understand it to an extent. But if he wasn't going to kill um Reggie and he was gonna beat on Reggie. He would have done that on the basis that he was an adult, uh, he was an ex-army. He also tried to stab him. Mm-hmm. Um and if he wasn't gonna kill him, then he was gonna make sure that either he didn't walk again or probably was sent down to the GCPD. In which case he should have done the same with uh Selena, the young Selena Kyle. Um or he should have just given her a, a real dressing down to the point whereby when you hear his words playing back in her mind while she's there sort of thinking on what he's said to her and probably also the 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 sting across her her cheek mm-hmm. that it's that that she remembers and not the slap i i think i just feel it's a slight misstep that alfred would do this to a young selena kyle when he's very protective of Bruce as a young man. Even just the reason for Bruce going back to school was he was trying to protect him by smashing up the computer. He's very protective. And I know it's Bruce, and I know Selina's not Bruce. Yeah, but... I think he would still be protective of a child. I don't think he would slap. I think he would tell her to clear off. I think he would certainly say, I know you killed him. I want to get him. Even if he tried to grab her and she right. skips away across the wall because she skips down from the wall, um, then that would have made more sense. I, I may... Maybe, as I say, it just seemed at odds with what I would have expected him to do. And that was... As much of the shock as well as the the hit or the slap. Right, interesting. I, I can I can see the point.
1: Um, I would never justify hitting a child, obviously. But this is a TV show, um, and I do think the impact of the slap is actually more important on the TV show. Never justify, obviously, hitting a child, especially one that's not your own and you have no connection to. But the frustration of Alfred with Selena on many many occasions. You knew he's angry and aggressive. He's from the army. He doesn't know how to deal with kids. That was set up in many, many episodes of the first season. Um, so th- this is kind of a reaction that his character would have in my, in my mind. Uh, it's the wrong, uh, wrong reaction in the real world, obviously. Um, but in this show, it leads to the drama of, uh, yeah, guess what? Kids get hit and guess what? It's not right. But this is a drama, so they do have to show that sometimes. Uh, what happens to Selena is this drives her further down that hole. While she's out in the street, she feels even more alone than she ever did. She, it looks like she was waiting for Bruce to kind of have a little meet up and have a chat with him because that's another friend, another another member of the world that cares about her. And basically, Alfred's just taken that away from her uh, in the most severe way possible by hitting her and giving her the dressing down and telling her she's worthless. Uh, so once again, we see Selena pushed and sidelined away from from another connection um so i think it's i I think it's justifiable in the drama of the tv show but i think it's a really surprising moment i definitely didn't expect um the moment to happen in the show
0: yeah i mean I, i do want to say that within the context of a drama and showing violence i'm not adverse to that at all um whether it's towards adults and to an extent children, if it's justified within the context of the show, mm-hmm. and even potentially, you know, between sexes, if it's justified with regards to the story um, a- a- and the show. I think you can debate that as to whether it's justified in Gotham, and I'm not entirely sure wh- how much it is to an extent. I think you could have had Alfred been really threatening... Grabbing Selena by the scruff of her neck and, and warning her to stay away, mm-hmm. chasing after her, saying, if I see you next time, I'll kill you myself or something, or you're going to the locker. Yeah. To the GCPD. Um, but for me, it just didn't feel right because it actually did feel at odds with Alfred's character that we've mm. all grown to really appreciate within this show uh, between him and another young person. Okay, it's Bruce. I know he's his guardian. Absolutely. Um, They've had their moments, obviously. You know, but yeah. he's, you know, I think, um, and, and maybe even just the threat of, of the violence would be more, you know, I'll give you a clip around the ear or a slap around the back of the, the leg or something like that. But I think it was just very sort of, yeah, jarring to Absolutely. see that
1: happen and and it's interesting I, to see it's interesting as an audience that we've seen the moment um but as the other characters around that are surrounding Alfred didn't see the moment the only person that has seen it is Selena so I'm wondering you know is that going to be a reason will she uh, talk about this with Bruce in some future episode uh will it be a reason for her to stay completely clear and have her own storyline completely for the rest of the season exactly um, who knows you know it it, it Definitely has the drama, and it is definitely something that was a huge talking point uh, after the episode aired. And it is a surprising moment. Don't get me wrong; seeing uh, seeing any child being hit is uh, is a very difficult moment on a TV show, uh, regardless uh, whether in real life or in a TV show. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, and absolutely seeing one of our favourite characters being the one to perform it is uh, is also uh, difficult to to see as well. So, um, yeah, but I do I do think the fact that it was brought back later on and was dealt with quite. Well handled, uh, definitely, when she's sitting in the street hearing the voice of Alfred uh, speaking to her uh, as well. Is, it was really interesting, too. Um, and I'm wondering how much that will play out as the rest of the season goes on. No, exactly. Uh, but on off from the very controversial point, John, what's your next point?
0: I also had that point as one of my five, but my next point is that Ed, Nygma, gets his woman.
1: Yes, let's uh, get onto some fun He stuff. has
0: his date with Christine Kringle. Um, I... Absolutely think um Corey Michael Smith doing Ed Nigma and The Riddler is quite frankly really fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um I loved him talking to the skeleton mm-hmm. um in the morgue. That's um, yeah. absolutely uh, brilliant. I love the fact that his f- forensic science background means that in cooking he's using the same kind of principles and um, to, to make the creme brulee and the little globules of sweetness or whatever that's going on top
1: brilliant he'd be good on masterchef
0: wouldn't he he really would i absolutely love that and again um i just thought the first date was brilliantly handled i love the slip of the tongue where he says he's dead and i love then him talking to to christine kringle about his other self who keeps him in check because he's such a klutz and she kind of believes that and i think i could believe that as well and yeah. i i really really um like that and i love the fact uh that she says there's a voice telling me that we can get back to that point before you ruined it as well um you know it's awkward it's cute um i love the kiss i love the little clink of the spectacles as they're going for <laughs> for the this this kiss it's really great and and you know finally uh, ed enigma has has got his um his date I think in addition to Corey Michael Smith and Chelsea Spack's Mm. performance and dynamic uh, interaction in this scene, there were a few other things I think that really helped this scene uh, along. You know, it was the cool industrial apartment that that Enigma's got. I was like, I just love that. I want it. Yeah. And that is my dream penthouse. Maybe not quite as dark and green as that, but nonetheless... The greens and reds are awesome. I loved it.
1: It was really, really cool. You could definitely tell this is an episode done by TJ Scott. He really
0: adds some stuff to this episode. Big time. He's got a real eye um, for these kind of visuals is really, really
1: good. Um, Not, of I, course, to diminish the people who created the sets and all the people who've done work on it for months before he came in and directed the episode. But no, it seems exactly. like his episode has always got these
0: really individual and unique angles or style that's going on. Uh, but yeah. I think that's it. It's the way it's shot in that space. And um, I love that. Um, I also loved just, again, how they're doing... The Riddler's voice, that kind of echoiness, that, that shouty sort of fade off echo mm. that they're, they're doing to um, highlight when the Riddler is speaking to Ed Nigma. It, it feels, even though you've got, you know, the additional performance of Corey Michael Smith as the Riddler there and with Ed Nigma, it just feels like it's in his head because of that kind of, um, echo yeah. it, it just feels like the riddler it reminds me of the um the arkham computer games as well as to how the riddler speaks mm-hmm. and those and it's really really cool and that i think is is really good as well Definitely. Um, and i think you know just quickly coming back to tj scott the, uh, you know another visual that was really striking not only did we have Victor Zaz back, played by Anthony Corrigan, oh, yes. who's brilliant, absolutely elevates anything um, and any scene that he's in. Love his performance as yeah, Victor Zsasz. He Zaz. even elevated Arrow when he when he was on that. No, exactly, he really did. But it it was his escape from the new Strike Force when he shoots the fire hydrant and just that water across oh, the cool. street and how he disappears into it. Fantastic visual, you know. I got an escape, yeah, it was brilliant. brilliant, but just the visual—like yeah. this is a TV show. It, I was like, "Wow, that's cool! Really cool."
1: Yeah, yeah, it was deadly. Like, Top notch. Yeah, yeah, really good job. Really loved T.J. Scott's episodes. Some of the other episodes are obviously as good, but you can really tell he's got a certain style about him when he when he comes on set, and you can see why they ask him back so often to do episodes of Gotham and episodes of other other really big visual TV shows as well. Really enjoyable. Did you notice something about Ed's apartment and where it was located? We did talk about this street in season one. Uh, Ed's apartment is on Grundy Street, so another little reference to Solomon
0: Grundy again. It is, and it is Chamois. Yes, yeah, I like that little touch where uh,
1: where Kristen thinks she's going out to a lovely French restaurant called Chamois, and it turns out to be my house in French, obviously, as any of us who've had a basic uh, French language course uh, would probably have been able to tell you because about all I remember from my French language course <laughs> ah <courses>. oui monsoir <laughs> <laughs> alright um, for me my next point is actually back to the strike force themselves because we, uh, we do need to talk about them it seems like this Given the name of the episode and uh, given the fact that they've got a big mission at the end of the episode, I wanted to quickly talk about the Strike Force themselves. I love this little setup. I wish it was given a little bit more time in the episode because this is something that you would probably get in every big movie, like uh, The Expendables or you know Strike Force Team. You know, this is what they sound like, and um, you're given some very basic criteria of the four um, the four members of the Strike Force. Uh, You're given there a very little, in, a very small interview with them, uh, where they're asked a couple of questions about who they are and why they belong as members of the Strike Force. Uh, so we have Martinez, Gareth, Hickney, and Jose uh, are the four members of the Strike Force. Um, Jose is is the uh, the woman who's in the ring at the beginning, and uh, and they find out that she waits uh, for the right moment to attack, and then she unleashes hell on her uh, on her opponent. Essentially, um, we've got Martinez. Uh, who is, who says that he is working his way through the academy, not taking the sports scholarship that he so richly deserved because people from his neighborhood don't get a sports scholarship. There's Garrus, who um, was, is a heavily qualified person, but wants to go through the academy because his father was victimized in Gotham and doesn't want to see it happen to anybody else. And then there's Hickney, who. As the best shot in uh, in Gotham because he spent all of his time down the shooting range uh, where his mom used to work. Uh, so really interesting little, little touches of characters. They've all got a different reason for being there, and they've all have a different history. I think in another episode, but probably less going on with the members of the of our regular cast in Gotham. We may have gotten a bit more expansion on these guys, but hopefully in the next episode when we see it in 2016, we'll probably get a bit more about each of these characters.
0: No, absolutely. I loved as well the, the wise words of Bullock that, um, he gives to them after their, their first encounter with Victor Zaz, where I think it's Jose, um, yeah, gets shot. Um, yeah. and obviously she's got a Kevlar on, but, um, he says, and they're all kind of like, you know, it's the first person who's kind of been taken down, injured, kind of, you know, winded, uh, but has survived uh, and lived to tell uh, another tale. Um, and Bullock says, you know, don't laugh at being shot. The next one essentially could be through your eye. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wise words from Bullock, straight to the point. Uh, really like that kind of little interaction with, you know, the old seahorse, so to speak. Um I love that interaction with the old sea dog kind of thing um with uh Bullock. I thought it was really, really good. So th- not the seahorse. <laughs> not the seahorse. <laughs> he changes sex. I think uh, was, otherwise. Was it a mix of war horse and, and sea dog? I think it may whatever. have been, okay. yeah. Um <laughs> so <laughs> um but I loved that. I think the other thing that I found quite um interesting was, you know, how Barnes justifies bringing these um new recruits fresh out of the academy and um, because they're unbought uh, there's been no one there with i don't know a briefcase of, of money and mm. um, no one there to put them on their payroll to get what they want he says they're fresh they're still with the faith and um, in the system yeah. you know they have faith and um, and that is what we want to uh, have and we want to retain and capture that and actually for me with this assembly of the strike force this unit alpha i thought there was very much hints of that mcu element where you know it's a band of people that you can um trust that each other has one another's back that they um you know aren't in the pockets of a mobster Mm -hmm. of another criminal um and they have the same ideals as you and i mean i suppose it just again it brought me back to, well, where's the MCU? It's kind of the same yeah. ethos to an extent, maybe a bit more SWAT team like. Um, so it's nice in that sense, but it would be good if there was some interaction there. I know I'm harping on about this <laughs> always, always, but, um, I did like the touch for the strike force though.
1: They, they report directly to Jim and Jim reports directly to Captain Barnes now. So this is the ultimate. As you said earlier on, the militarization of the police force, which is really interesting given what's been going on in the US this year with the militarization question over the police force with uh, incidents like Ferguson in the US earlier on this year. Um, and the, the suggestion that the police need greater and greater access to, uh, to quite high grade weaponry, to army level weaponry on the streets of the US. Um, so I think that the writers are definitely making a commentary about uh, that kind of militarization of the police force and what it would take um when you do have a city as corrupt and as destroyed as Gotham, would that be enough to push you over the edge to allow the police to have weapons that an army would have in your local town, essentially? So, um, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting idea. I'm sure we'll see that play out more when we see episode five next year when it returns to the UK and
0: Ireland. So, John, what's your final point in this episode? My final point is a, a quick uh, two-parter. One is we have the introduction of Silver St. Cloud, yep. um, the ward of the Galavan uh, twins the, or siblings. And it's also, you know, to what extent is Theo Galavan going to use her to influence, to, you know, corrupt the young Bruce Wayne? They're going to go to the same preparatory school and... Um, there's obviously um, some designs on on Bruce's family, uh, the Wayne family. You know, Theo kind of gets his foot in the door emotionally with Bruce by talking about the murder of his, his parents, yeah. um, of the fact that the police uh, and the GCPD haven't um, actually been able to... Um, uh, solve the case yet, despite them being two really prominent, uh, members of, of society. So, like, this is real manipulative stuff from Theo Gallivan oh, towards, yeah. uh, the younger Bruce Wayne. Absolutely. Um, and definitely, as we can
1: see with pretty much every other character that Gallivan meets up with, he knows everything about Bruce. He's done his homework.
0: Yeah. Big time. Uh, and I think, again, the other part about that scene, um, which I really enjoyed, again, was just the, the location that that restaurant or that 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 location underneath oh, yes. um, the arches of one of the bridges there coming off um presumably manhattan island um absolutely great setting again brilliant use and framing by tj scott and again to be honest for me it really just also reconnected me with um the gcpd precinct as well you know nathaniel barnes talked about it being a hundred years old having seen a lot of stuff go on in it you know loads of perps that have been arrested uh, in uh, the precinct and so on i absolutely just it connects me back to the sets and the locations were a real big feature of this episode for me oh, yeah. um yeah. along with you know as we've already mentioned um the the industrial cool looking apartment of Ed Nigma's yeah yeah
1: absolutely uh, you you mentioned about silver sense Claire. that was my final point um the introduction of silver wow bruce is taken by her so quickly i think uh, theo If she's the ward or if she's a niece or if she's a hired attractive young girl... Um, which you could possibly be, uh, he's picked the right person for Bruce. Uh, he gets distracted almost instantly by the girl dancing in the fountain outside. Nice little reference there to, I think, the Dark Knight trilogy with the two models that were dancing in the, uh, in the fountain of the restaurant. Do you remember that in, the, in the Dark Knight? Yes. Um, with Christian Bale's Batman or Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne, in fact. Um, a nice little touch there, I thought, uh, from, from TJ Scott or from, uh, Danny Cannon, uh, to reference that. But yeah, Silver really has taken uh, a fancy to Bruce or, Takes Bruce's fancy very quickly. Uh, a nice little touch that they're both in the same school together, and Bruce is back at Andrews Prep, so uh, that's quite cool to see. Uh, see him back there. Hopefully, we'll get to see, as we mentioned before, some of the other characters we saw in uh, in that preparatory school last year. Yeah, and um, they both have second homes in Geneva. Yes, yeah, yeah. So definitely a lot of connections there between the two interesting to see what the plan is with silver because there definitely is one she's not uh she's not just being presented as a possible love interest for bruce there's definitely some plan for galavan
0: damn you rich kids with your second homes in the alps (laughs) that would be
1: pretty awesome if they're able to buy them usually they're uh they're only kept available for people from the alps aren't they
0: yeah, that is very true. Certainly was the case in Zermatt, just by the Matterhorn. Mm, fabulous city. On that note, I think that's it for our five points about, uh,
1: about this episode. Any particular notes from this episode, John, that stood out, or have we covered everything?
0: Yeah, no, I've just got one quick note. It's just a little bullockism there, a sort of 1966 Batman bullockism, where the Strike Force, uh, Going into, um, take down Victor Zaz as they're called out to, to save and protect, um, Councillor Hobbs. And just, he turns to, to, to Jim and goes, okay, so they move in formation well, nice. uh, or something to that effect. I just love the dry wit and, and snark of, of, uh, Harvey Bullock here again, you know. Are these new kids on the block. Okay, I'll give it to them that they know how to hold formation. Kind yeah. of thing. I love it. Yeah, it it's very just... much. Uh,
1: it's it's because Jim gives them some kind of army directions, and and Bullock kind of goes, yeah, yeah, you go do that, and then and then yeah. they do it perfectly, and yeah, makes that kind of a nice little nice little moment. It's a that.
0: really good little touch, you know, the old school, new school kind of thing. Uh, really, really liked it.
1: Yeah. I uh, love the closing of this episode. and not mention it in my points, but I love that it's got uh, a really gothic looking uh, Oswald Cobblepot, who's becoming more and more creepy looking as the season's been going on, sitting in front of a huge gothic fireplace, screaming into the fire because, because Butch hasn't been able to find his mom. A nice, excellent moment for the end of the episode, I thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, John, overall, what do you think of the episode? I am going to give this um, three and a half ginger maniacs out of um, five. <laughs> I thought... Um, he survives into another episode. I know. The spirit of Jerome lives on through um, Oswald Cobblepot's um, use of the term ginger maniac. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. He has had ramifications in the city of Gotham. Little does everyone else know that he was merely a puppet for um, Theo Gallivan, but now Penguin is also aware of this as well. Yeah. Like, I really liked this development of Theo Gallivan's story. I loved the introduction of Captain Barnes. I loved the army connections between him and Jim Gordon. I thought that was really good as well. Obviously, the strike force. I thought locations and sets here were amazing. Some of the shots that TJ Scott does are really cool, I thought, um, as well, the fact that Ed gets his woman and Christine Kringle is a really nice payoff. Oh, yes. I love that it was a slow burn and that we've got that payoff. Um, and I think the the tension, the animosity, the disdain between and what's brewing between uh, the King of Gotham, Oswald, and the Galavans, especially with poor um, Gertrude Capelport. Uh, kidnapped is really really good for me personally the Alfred hit of Selena was a slight misstep in terms of the writing and mm-hmm. um, for me for that character um, but that's just my opinion other people may think that it was okay and it was justified and that's fine and yeah. um, but I think this was a nice little episode, and um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this strike force develops over the next few um, episodes as well. Um, obviously, it's going to be much later on, but for me, this was a solid... Um, episode of Gotham, really liked it, um, and so that's why I give it three point five Ginger Maniacs out of five.
1: <laughs> I'm probably not as sold as much uh, on this particular episode. I thought it was a big setup episode. Um, it struck me, I think, after I'd watched, after I'd watched it uh as to why it wasn't shown at new york comic-con this is definitely not the episode that you show to people to encourage them to watch the show it's something that you show to people who already watch to get them prepared for next week's episode is the way i feel uh it's kind of a three out of five for me um if i'm to give it a rating uh there's a lot going on but it's a lot of setup for things that are going to happen in the future and a lot of dealing with characters that we've been watching for over a season and a bit now over almost 30 episodes really uh, at this stage so um so there's some great stuff that happens to to the characters that we love and some introductions to to characters that hopefully we're going to like in future uh, great to see a new ally for Jim great to see the strike force that's quite an interesting idea uh, again so, in- brings up some interesting questions for for the future of the show and the future of uh of the team in the GCPD. Um, but an, an overall enjoyable episode, not a bad one, uh, just one that's setting up something that we won't see for about three months now, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> no, it really is so brutally like sad. There's such a gap between the air date in the US and now in Ireland and the UK, especially given that last year it was only two weeks. Yeah. Um it just makes no sense. And I mean just so that I can vent it, I suppose, Absolutely. and and say it, it's it's that every time um Channel Five now tweet about something or um or put something up on Facebook in relation to the Gotham on five handle that they they use. The comments that they get back are all just the same. Why was it scheduled for the start of 2016, of which we still don't have a start date? You know, that people are going to be downloading this. I mean, this is not the way to combat, I suppose, downloading of episodes, ultimately. Yep. Yep. Um, But I don't know. It's just really strange because it's yep. not doing them any favors, I don't think. At That's- least not on the comments section, um, on social media. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Now there's many reasons why, why a channel won't, won't show a show immediately after. We're really lucky with TV shows like The Walking Dead, which airs the following night over here. Really lucky with things like Game of Thrones, which air. Pretty much the same time as they do in the US, all to combat piracy and all because of the money spent on the, on those shows. Um, we're lucky on the DC side that things like Arrow and Flash and Supergirl are all aired within the same week of them airing in the US. That's, that's, that's fantastic. It's just not done all the time, unfortunately. And Gotham has fallen victim to that this year. Uh, and we're going to be quite far behind. But on the positive side, we do have some news and feedback that we're going to play out uh to from our listeners for the rest of the shows so there's tons of stuff that came out over the last couple of weeks about new casting and uh we got some feedback from our listeners on that so uh it's into feedback fascinating fascinating points well made i think so our first piece of feedback is on this episode, episode 4 of Gotham, uh, from Natalie. Uh, Natalie made, uh, made some great points in her email. Um, one of the first points she has for us is about Theo Galavan. Um, she says, in this episode, Theo Galavan is a chess master who is playing with fire. His multidimensional plan has too many moving parts that need to be aligned properly. Uh, first, he frees some Arkham inmates to sow chaos, but they could have easily turned on him. Now he's manipulated the Penguin into doing his bidding by kidnapping Oswald's own sainted mother. That's asking for major retribution, which I hope he gets from the Penguin himself. All this is to manipulate Gotham into into electing him as mayor. No matter how he frames everything, so many potential mayoral candidates dropping from the race is going to make him the last man standing. Look quite suspicious. Perhaps not as the mastermind, but certainly in the pocket of a mastermind. Then there's that construction project. It would be a monument to ethics violations if it ever gets completed. <laughs> uh, there must be a few potential historic buildings under its footprint. He can't charm or buy off or kill all of the activists and advocates for the neighbourhood without raising more suspicions.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, definitely, um, you know, Galavan is treading a thin line with the Penguin. Um, you know, as soon as one of those pieces fails to move, as you say, as, as the chess master or it topples over... Um, oswald knows he was behind arkham and uh was asked to do his bidding uh, for the sake of protecting his own mom so uh Gallivan maybe unwittingly and maybe he has as we were talking about um has underestimated the penguin and you do that at your peril Actually. as oswald um says definitely i think that the fact that Hobbs survived the attack by Zaz um, certainly means that uh, Galavan, as a mayoral candidate, is look it will look less suspicious. And um, you know he can't be the only person to run for the position; otherwise, that would look um, certainly uh, suspicious. And so he, I reckon he he's savvy with that. Uh, yeah. And then for me, in terms of the construction project, I just kind of thought, well. This is Gallivan Towers versus Wayne Towers uh, in relation to the skyline. Um... That's yeah. what it felt like to me. And it definitely looked like something out of, uh,
1: Joel Schumacher's Batman, uh, the, uh, the particular model that they had with the, uh, with the neon building right in the middle of the, of the model. But...
0: I think this also harked back to then the, the meeting between Maroni and Falcone with regards to Indian Heights uh, and, uh, the Arkham project, you know, why they want that particular area of, of Arkham. Mm. You know, it felt a bit like in that vein to me. And um, so it'll be interesting now to see. Uh, really how, how this kind of, uh, takes shape really, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Natalie also speaks about Captain Byron, says he made a great entrance. He certainly means business. Um, we've gone from a war with, within the Gotham mob to a war on the mob. Gotham does its version of The Untouchables, complete with declaring Penguin public enemy number one, with the added modernization of making unit alpha part SWAT or tactical team. Uh, One of the questions hanging over the show when it began last year was how would a rookie Detective Gordon rise to his destiny as commissioner? And We now have a solid part of that answer. Even moderate success with a short-lived strike force is a resume or CV builder. Best case, Barnes himself rises to commissioner, taking Gordon as a trusted second.
0: I definitely like that theory, Absolutely. Um, I really hope that it's not short-lived with regards to the strike force but i think it will be um just by the sort of as you say the very tactical team nature of it it's kind of having to write episodes that are based around a swat element or a tactical team it 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 might start to get them through a particular vein or of, of storyline in order to um to shape that type of story i mean i would love to see that kind of and merge with the mcu and ultimately be consumed by the mcu that that idea of a um a close-knit tight team that reports to one man which is what the mcu and hopefully we will see um then the return of the mcu uh, i like that idea um that maybe gordon gets put in charge of that team and um, mm-hmm. or some version of it and um, absolutely much like the you know. comic
1: books yeah yeah would be great to see yeah uh,
0: really good
1: be great to see them return definitely yeah and finally Latley Nat- says hands down my fi- favorite part was alfred's quip to bruce uh no master bruce i expect you to run as a classic bond fan i loved it perfectly fit the pattern of goldfinger's original line best quote of the season so far uh, what I want to know is where between the writer's room, the table reads and the actual shooting of the scene did they figure out that Bruce's bewilderment walked him straight into that quip? And how much did they debate whether or not to keep it in? I can actually see that as a gag Sean and David came up with at the table read. Uh, I would have liked to see in the end of the training room with Bruce struggling home for a late supper, just so we could contrast it later with a stronger, quicker Bruce. Uh, yeah, really good scene. Definitely. Really yeah. Enjoy
0: that. I actually, now you say it, it does, um, sound like the classic Goldfinger original, uh, line in terms of how it, it, it pitter patters. Um, and certainly with Spectre just out here, uh, this Monday, uh, whilst we're recording, uh, this, it's, uh, it's perfect timing, um, really to have that kind of, um, classic bond, uh, Delivery to to that line. No, yeah. I I absolutely thought that was a great quip, and I think for me, uh, uh, on the basis of the podcast we've just done, to me that is Alfred. That type of of line. Um, so for me, it was great to have that uh, in the given. Um, maybe some of his, uh, more out of character or yeah. more extreme moments, um, in this, in this episode. Yeah, I think the slap was probably still echoing in our ears. As the, it as the was line came up, so. a bit. And, but having said that, I would have loved to have seen Bruce struggling home as well because just the look on his face was, um, was perfect. Again, really good chemistry between these two. Absolutely, uh, love it. Yeah. And just a point of, a point of clarity, uh, Natalie did
1: ask, was this episode screened at New York Comic Con? I I think we mentioned earlier on the episode, just to clarify, they didn't actually screen an episode at New York Comic Con. This was, this was broadcast the night after New York Comic Con finished. So that's why we were able to see it. But unfortunately, unlike last year, we didn't get to see this episode with an audience. It's always a great experience at New York Comic Con to see an episode with an audience. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Big time. And as well, um, Natalie does say, what a, a great character growth moment uh, in this week's episode uh, for Ed Nigma and the boost uh, in his confidence. Absolutely, completely agree. The date, sh, sh- chez moi, uh, you know, <laughs> Miss Kringle, um, the kiss um just absolutely brilliant and um, coupled as uh natalie points out to the the um freudian slip about i'm glad he's dead in relation to um her former boyfriend really good um dynamic between those two actors loved the setting loved every part of that and a real good payoff it just shows you long story arc and um, long character development and growth uh, and it almost makes it more um wonderful to see it happen for for those very
1: reasons absolutely uh, thank you very much for your feedback natalie and thank you so much for your feedback so far this season I uh, hope you'll join us again in 2016 when we return with episode
0: five. <laughs> that sounds so awful. It's like that saying sounds... goodbye to a a friend for for a few months. Uh, again, Natalie, thank you so much for the great feedback that you you've come back to us with. It's a pleasure to read it out along with the other contributions that we've got from. And um, now moving into some feedback we got on facebook uh, in relation to some of the news that we had uh, reported on this week for for new characters uh, showing up in uh, the form of mr freeze or is that mr freeze or fresh <laughs> yes um, you know was he a doctor is he a doctor i always get this confused you Do he, yeah no, it's he, definitely mr freeze yeah but he will be played by the House of Cards, Nathan Darrow, uh, Kevin Spacey's bodyguard from, uh, way back in season one, I think he was appointed. And um, so he, he kind of looks to me like Mr. Freeze, um, particularly from, uh, the animated version. I can't wait to see him with a shade of, uh, glacial blue <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh it's a really interesting bit of casting
1: i really enjoyed Nathan arrow in, uh, in house of cards one of my favorite shows um, no, we've, we've definitely watched quite a few episodes of that. Uh, really good, uh, really good idea to bring these characters in. Uh, along with his casting, we've also had some casting for Nora Freeze, uh, Kristen Hagar, who, uh, who made a big splash apparently in the, in the US version of the fantastic TV show, Bring Human, Um will be coming on board to play Nora Fries uh, or is that Nora Fries <laughs> or is that Nora Freezes possibly we'll, we'll probably see some uh, some interesting pronunciations like a uh, dolmacker um in or season doll 1 dolmacker yeah
0: or Dollmaker?
1: exactly exactly <laughs> um, sorry i'm silly moment now uh, in response to this casting, Ben Rush uh, says, uh, "I wonder if they'll stick to the classic origin or the new Fifty Two version, which is a lot darker." Um, I do remember an origin story for Mister Freeze, which was um, a, which was quite a dark origin story. Um, the main one I think most of us know is the the basic story of um, essentially Mister Freeze is looking for a cure for an illness that his wife has developed. Um, I think that's the main, the basics, without spoiling anything that could be coming up later on in the season. That's the basics of the story that we know. Uh, there have been some very dark versions of that story uh, and the illness that she has and the reasoning behind why Mr. Freeze goes after uh, this cure for his wife. Um I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't read the comic books, but there are some fantastic versions out there. The Batman Animated Series did a movie uh, about Mr. Freeze and his origin story. I definitely recommend you seek that one out if you haven't, if you're not Absolutely, aware of it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Awesome response to this news. Uh, Daniel Butcher responded with a uh, Boom. Uh this is uh uh usually Daniel's indication that he really enjoys the uh the uh the news story uh or the the piece of information that's out there. Uh thanks for that, Daniel. And thanks for that, Ben, as well. Another bit of casting that we haven't spoken about for this week is that B. D. Wong has uh has been cast in the role of Hugo Strange, a character we've kinda known has been coming to Gotham since the beginning of season one and has finally been cast. Uh B. D. Wong was in Jurassic Park and was the only returning cast member who came back for a very short moment, a very small moment for uh Jurassic World, but um but a big character nonetheless and a big actor nonetheless and Absolutely. interesting. To see and in
0: Jurassic World he did cause uh trouble and strife with his crossbreeding. Quite a bit, quite a bit. We expected to see him back in uh
1: in Jurassic World Two, whatever that's gonna be called. called Jurassic Universe, maybe?
0: Yeah, Jurassic greatness, but, I think. Yeah. I love Jurassic World. Silly, perfect fantastic um more summer blockbusters
1: should be like that absolutely absolutely and dylan exner uh, perfectly sums it up with hugo strange's mutant dinos uh, exactly that's his, his response to, uh, to bd wong's casting uh, thanks again for your for your feedback as always make sure you do follow us on facebook at gotham tv podcast you can follow us on twitter at gotham tv podcast and we're generally on there quite a lot it's getting very spoilery uh the the further we get away from the uh from the coverage of the episodes that we saw in new york so probably trying not to be spoiled a huge amount so if you do want to send us feedback about episodes please make sure you send them to feedback at gotham tv podcast.com we'll Collect them over the next couple of, couple of weeks. It's only nine weeks to next year, so it'll be okay. Uh, we'll collect them over the next couple of weeks and we'll share them on the uh, on our future episodes of Gotham Season 2.
0: Exactly. And in the meantime, join us for Marvel's uh, Jessica Jones on Netflix from the 20th of November, where we will be podcasting all about a private investigator and her investigations across the city of New York and her own battle with her own Inner demons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you enjoy dark TV shows and Gotham's had
1: its dark moments, uh, I definitely recommend you go and uh, go and check that out. A really strong female character and a really good, uh, good show.
0: Yep. And if you like Doctor Who, then there is, of course, David Tennant as a Mr. Kilgrave. And um all we can say um based on what we saw at New York Comic Con is that for a very small amount of screen time. And I mean, minuscule if burly on screen physically um he packs a huge punch uh, and impression on that first episode and so uh we can't wait to to cover these 13 episodes but please join us at, um, defenders forward slash iTunes for all Jessica Jones, um, kicking off from the 20th of November. And of course you can, uh, tweet with us at defenders cast on Twitter. Yeah. Tons of uh, links there for you. Tons loads of links, links. to remember. Absolutely. Um remember to jot them down with a bit of pen and paper. <laughs> At the lobby in the uh, in the show notes, don't worry. Uh,
1: but as always, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really good to uh, to talk to the listeners. To talk about our our enjoyment of the episode so far. Disappointed that we won't be seeing any more for the next couple of months, but uh, it's not that long. We'll we'll get to, we'll get together again very soon.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in 2016. Bye. for being a Butch supporter. Butch loves you, baby.
1: And then this hit me, and I've forgotten what happens to hit me. I don't know. Shooting range?